Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to this week's edition of the Freedom Fridays podcast. It's Pete Clark, your host. I have a very different and I'm going to say unique guest on this morning. Uh, Someone I've only just literally met in the last few weeks. We have a, a mutual friend. Um, that friend asked us to take part in a, an activity for a, a, a special birthday. And we got talking and we got connected. And it was one particular conversation we had <laughs> in a pub over some beer and wine that I thought you might find particularly interesting. So I'll explain as we go along. But please welcome on today's podcast, Mr. Pete Lawson. Hi, Pete. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, sir. How are you? Very well. Very well, thank you. Good. Now, for the listeners, um, you are a farmer. You have cattle and livestock on your farm, and we met uh, doing a walk in Tasmania. Uh, A mutual friend of ours asked us to do what's known as the Overland Track, which is somewhere like 70, 80 kilometres of bush and hiking and bits and pieces. And we might, we might get into that. Um, I, I'm interested, first of all, could you maybe explain to the listeners what, what's involved in running a livestock farm? And then I'll, I'll get into why we're actually having this conversation, because it's, it's not necessarily about farming we're going to talk about, but I think it's good context. What, what's involved in, in running a livestock farm? Uh, that's a pretty broad question, but I mean, we run sheep and cattle. We're probably cattle dominant. Um, it's, I mean, you've really just got to manage the livestock to a point where they can um, breed the next generation. So we're self-producing livestock. So we um, produce all our own um self-replacing sort of flock and herd um, as opposed to buying in each year and then selling them all out and buying animals in and then putting weight on and selling them out. So we're breeding them, taking the progeny to a, you know, a certain weight and that varies a bit depending on our seasons and then someone else will generally buy, say, the steer portion, um, so the males of the cattle. buy them and then they'll take them through to a a heavier weight and where they become stakes or they may go to, um, you know, someone else who will then take them right through to fatten them up and kill them. And how long has the the farm been in your family, Pete? uh, Well, we run two farms. So um, the farm where we live and where I grew up, um, so we've been here. I guess close to 50 years. So my parents bought it. So it's sort of wow. Um, and then my wife's farm, um, it's got an amazing history. It's, I think she's fifth generation. I think it was 18, oh, gee, I'm going to get this wrong, 1860 or something. Wow. When they took it up as a family. And, and there's still, uh, sort of a portion of the original um, farm, but yeah, the history there is amazing, and I, and I just love it. I think it's it's yeah, wow. fascinating. It's a real privilege to, um, you know, you've got to be very careful not to put pressure on yourself to say I've got to keep this farm in the family 
um, you know, if you're keeping it in the family just for the sake of keeping it in the family, it's probably the wrong attitude to be to take. Um, but it's a real privilege, and um, yeah, like I just love it—the history side of it. And, Pete, that's I, I wasn't even in our conversations that we've had. I, I wasn't aware of that, and that that's probably that's probably a perfect prompt for us to get into what I was keen to talk to you about because um, we we had a conversation. Um, I think it was towards the end of our. It was the like the last night we'd, we'd finished the track, which we'll talk about in, in, in a second possibly. And and you talked to me about uh, a little process that you go through. Um, starting many years ago, uh, again, forgive me <laughs> for, for raising that. And I, and I said to you, I'm, I'm not sure if you believe me, but I said to you, wow, that's a, that's fascinating, not just because of the process, but there's not many. I think you said you were in, in your early 20s when you started this. Um, there's not many 20-year-olds who are farmers or not that I'm aware of that would even think about that process. So uh, I'd love to, first of all, if you could explain what the process is, and then we can dive into, uh, I guess the 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 use case, the the examples, what what you've done with it to make it yours, and then we'll maybe talk about how others could perhaps use it as a as a lens or a frame to think about, and then I'll come back to the, you know, the farm you've had, your wife's farm, and your know, fifth generations, and and the privilege and and how much that's impacted you. So, Pete, just to quick explanation what, what was the process you mentioned to me that you you used when you know in your early 20s um so i guess a bit of context was um we started talking at sort of as my family my parents and siblings um about you know family succession um yeah. but uh, it probably started when i was about 19 but very yeah. loosely very Slowly, it was just you know trying to get a. Uh, I guess mum and dad were trying to get a bit of a handle on, um, you know how many of us were might have been interested in farming and yeah, uh, and just starting to try to build some some plans and um, you know I guess get their heads around it and then so we can all work together and uh, so we're a bit clearer about what we wanted to do. So that was yeah, I was probably about nineteen I reckon and. And then that continued for a few years. And so by 20, you know, I finished, went to ag college and um, I was probably uh, 23 or something when I finished ag college, 22. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think now. Um, and yeah, it would have been about 22, I guess. And um just to set some goals and, you know, we've done a little bit of this sort of stuff very loosely without knowing that's what we've been doing. But, yeah. um, and then we, you know, we got a bit of help just to help facilitate some family meetings. Okay. And, and um, yeah, it became a, you know, there's numerous hundreds of structures you probably know more about than I do about goal setting. Yeah, sure. But it was, it was just one that involved, um, well, we just started getting a bit clearer on goals and and I really, I don't know, I seem to enjoy that sort of side of things and and um, very quickly seemed to have, you know, write them out and then um, reflect on them, I guess. And, yeah. and they became pretty solid. Now, they're pretty broad, but they yeah. were longer term and... Um, and over time, and I think that's probably one of the key things is that you're not expected to be 100% crystal clear the first time you yeah. write a goal down. But, yeah. but if you don't start writing them down, you don't. Um, it's harder to see that clarity as it builds. If you keep yeah. going back yeah, to the it comes clearer as you, as you take and you move, right? Yeah. And, and you're and, right, there are... There are hundreds of goal setting mechanisms and articles written on goal setting uh, and yeah I, you, there's probably some books behind me that i could share with you that would be possibly <laughs> possibly not but what struck me about what you were saying it was it was almost there was three three streams to the goal setting which which is not really that much of a surprise for many who are involved in this world but 
the themes were quite a surprise. Could you maybe just share what those broad themes were? Uh, so it's, um, you know, the, the people, the landscape, so, um, you know, the, I mean, financial goals are always one that come up. Sure. Um, um, so financial, the people, so the sort of person you want to be, the sort of people you want around you, yeah. um, the type of um, relationships you want to have, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, again, be very broad, but it just gives a bit of clarity to, um, you know, I guess something to reflect back on. If, if you're drifting off, you think, yeah. well, that's not the person I want to be. And yeah, because I know the sort of person I want to be. Um, and the landscape, which, you know, as farmers is the um, key to it all. And, um, and just how healthy um, you want that landscape. And, you know, there's a bit of a, there's profit from the landscape and there's the health of the landscape. And whilst they've both got to be trending in the same direction, like you need to be profitable and you, but you need that landscape to be healthy and, and getting that balance right, I think is, um, you know, probably where agriculture is really, I guess, trying to find its feet now. I think for a long while, it probably pushed towards the profitability side, but you know, to the detriment of landscape. And, um, and, you know, for getting that balance right, I think, is, is yeah. one of the big things. And, yeah. And being able to do that for a an extended period of time. And I'm talking, you know, well beyond my lifetime um, because the landscapes, you know, it's had to sustain people for 60,000 years or longer, I don't know. Um, mm. And, you know, if the world keeps on going, then it needs to be done for another 60,000 years. Yeah. You know. Any... Well, it is a bit of an assumption when you look at the, what's happening in the world today, but maybe that's a bit of an assumption. <laughs> it's very easy to convince yourself that things aren't going to last that long. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You'd like to think we're a bit more smarter than that. And, we'll, you know, we've caused all the problems. We can probably find some of the solutions to that. That's, that's possibly a separate conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got to get your head around um, stop treating symptoms and treat the cause. And yeah. Um, you know, then there'd be an awful lot of politicians without a job, I think. Yeah, then you're right. Um, Pete, I'm first of all fascinated. Um, in, in what I do, so I work with corporates and whether it's about leadership or mindset or communication or, you know, strategic alignment, all the kind of classic corporate training, corporate facilitation stuff. And, and, and often... Um, when, when the group or the individual feels inspired and they're, they're touched by something I've said, an exercise we've run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, often their comment is, oh, my, my wife or husband could benefit from this. My, my kids could benefit from this. So they kind of project onto the world what the people around them would benefit from. And, and the reason I'm putting that in context, I'm fascinated when you look back to when you were 19, do you have any sense now in looking back what your parents did or what got what helped facilitate you as a 19-year-old to be even interested in what mum and dad were asking about? Do you remember anything they did to seed that, to sow that seed of interest and this is a healthy thing to do, this is a this is a sustainable thing. This is not just mum and dad saying, hey, Pete, what do you want to do with your life? This is actually... Do you remember anything they did to make that land easier on you? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think I'd been talking about it quite a bit with um, probably mum and dad, but certainly dad, you know, just running out working, just... Um, you know, we've always got on well and, and been able to talk. And, um, you know, I was one of those probably pains in the ass kids who asked a lot of questions and just kept on asking questions. And, um, 
Yeah, so I probably knew a lot about his life and where he came from and, and um, you know, how he got to where he was and what he, some of his regrets and some of his things he wished he'd done, some of the things that he did but, you know, probably would have done differently and, um, you know, just little snippets over um, yep. over years, nothing straight out. So I guess in some respects, and I'm thinking off the top of my head here now that you've asked me that question, um, that had helped build a, yeah. a picture in my mind of, um, right, well, this is what I think I want to do. If this situation comes up, uh, you know, I might have to be braver than I'm going to be because, uh, right. you know, that's one of Dad's regrets, and or at least be conscious of the fact that it um, it could be a regret if I don't accept the challenge, whatever that challenge might have been. And, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I might be making that sound far more mature and thoughtful than it was at the time, but um, yeah, it, it, that's it made me think of something else, Pete, as, as a kind of separate question. Um, there, there's lots written about you know, how men and particularly fathers today are, uh, you could argue, a little bit better at connecting with their kids beyond the role of father. And as in we let them know, you know, who we are, we're asked, we're shown to be vulnerable and share bits and pieces. And it sounds like your dad, in sharing some of his regrets, was almost an example of that from 30 years ago. Would you say that he, he was? Uh yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know that um, my kids would look at me as a father any differently than I looked at him as a father. Um, Interesting. Yeah, like sometimes you have to. Um, yeah, I'd say yes, probably. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Don't know how to answer that one? That's okay. Um, so these three lenses that uh, that you've mentioned to me, Pete, um, the, the most obvious one, that just maybe kick this off first, the, this, the financial goals. I remember you saying to me that you would consider um, not just on uh, off farm assets, with, you know, bank account, you know, whatever it was financially, but you'd consider on farm assets. What, what, what's the difference, first of all? Oh, well, I mean, I think just about any farming family, the biggest and quite often they're, only real asset is the land yeah. that they um, own, or you know, with the bank's help usually. <laughs> but, yes. Um, so, you know, so that's our biggest asset, and and one of the um, you know things I guess is just in your goal setting is just recognizing that you know you don't run the risk, but it's it can be a choice as to whether that remains your only or largest asset right. or whether you try to expand your asset base, I guess. And, you know, that's like it just means whether you're buying some shares or some real estate or farm or, okay. um, you know, keeping it in cash or, you know, whatever it might be, but just be conscious of, of where your assets are. Now, the choice is entirely the individuals or the partnership, yeah. the um, families, but... Um, just be conscious of where it is and and where you want it to be in, you yeah. know, pick an age. But at, in my mind at that time, it was at 60. Right. Um, I think that's probably because that was mum and dad's next big birthday. Yeah. Um, was 60 and they were, you know, talking about when they might want to um, retire and um, what would that look like. And, and um, you know, which involved us being boys wanting to come home that, um, you know, when we wanted would, would come home if we did and how we were going to do it as a family and yeah, uh, or do we go off and, you know, do something different, work for someone else on a farm and, and you know, they were all decisions we were, or discussions we were having Um which we had to, at some stage, make a decision about. And then, you know, right, this is where we are. These are our options now that we've chosen this path. Yeah. Um, it's made me think, Pete, 
maybe it's I don't know if it's obvious or not, but is it is it normal for a farming family to do that? In you know, in comparison to there's not no such thing as a corporate family, but a family that you know perhaps has you know has worked for other people over the years in a, in a business or in a bank or you know in a supermarket whatever it is i don't know many families that would even think about succession is uh, it is, i think anyone is that a farming trait do you think um i think any family business i mean any family business right. um you know makes blinds and curtains and they've been doing it for two generations or shoes or, you know, whatever it might be. Family any, yeah. any family business um, should have a succession plan, even if that succession plan is to sell yeah. the, sell the business, at, you know, when dad retires. And, um, and I think it's... Uh, I mean, and because... The you know farming sense it's um you know it is the biggest asset if not the only asset that that yeah. family has and yeah and so you've got to be really careful not to build expectation um in that you know you could be running this farm one day son yeah. number one yeah and so he sees the whole farm he doesn't see um you know a fifth of it because he's got four siblings or yeah. right right uh, right yeah interesting uh, and then so whenever um and then when it comes to it if it's not discussed and and over a period of time then you know the parents say well we need money to retire and um you know your brothers or sisters or you know your siblings probably would like a bit of help starting whatever they're doing or buy a house yeah. or if we can, you know, just not to say they can. Um, and so, you know, this is the size of the pie. This is what as parents we need. And as parents, this is what we would like to be able to help you guys get started. Yeah. Um, then, you know, all of a sudden that slice has gone from the whole farm in this kid's mind yeah to something which might help him put a deposit on a house or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that conversation so to get back to your question um i think a lot of i think all farmers are probably aware of the need for succession planning right um i would say and it's a pure guess um i would say probably 70, 80% do something about it. It's right. probably of that 70, 80%, um, you know, hopefully it's more than that, but of that 78%, 70 or 80%, there might be, um, say, 20 or 30% of that. And again, I hope it's closer to 90% um, who actually start the process early. So you've got time to discuss it. You're yeah. managing expectations of all parties involved. And um, and it's not a you just reduce the stress of the whole situation. I think if you can do it over time and yeah. and start early, so it's not. Um, and it's probably a bit um, different nowadays, given so many kids have um, you know further education, uni degrees, or right. possible. Um, you know, I think there's probably a lot more awareness of just the scale of it and the um and by scale I just mean um you know the dominance of that yeah asset being the yeah. farm yeah. potentially being you know the only or certainly yeah. the largest asset yeah um, um, thanks Pete I, I wanted to cover the asset part first because it is for me it's possibly the least interesting part in terms of when people I think agree. those you know, that's often what they think, you know, financial assets, you know, property assets. It's kind of an obvious, you know, if people were thinking about, you know, aspiring to something, what am I going to pass to the family? It's, it's that sort of thing, which, you know, is an, is an obvious thing to do. 
What I'm really more interested personally in talking about is, first of all, um, the landscape. And this ties back to the comment you made about your wife's farm, you know, five generations. Can you just explain a little bit about, because what what fascinated me when you mentioned this to me is that you're, you're thinking about the landscape, the land, the healthiness of the land five generations from now. And you will never have, you know, you, you're never going to see that. First of all, why would you do that? Second, how? How do you think about that? And third, what's the motivation given it has no impact on you whatsoever? Um, I think that last comment has no impact on me whatsoever. It, in a literal sense, it doesn't. Um, you know, we all, I think just about everyone says, I'd love to leave the patch I control or the world, for want of a better word, but, you know, the patch I can control is all the only bit I've got any influence over, really. Yeah. Um, in a better place for my children and grandchildren. Sure. So we're all thinking like that anyway. Um, the hard thing, I think, and... Um, is to be able to test that because um, so am I leaving this in a better place for my children? And now, you know, you can generally justify whatever you're doing at that point in time. Um, but as soon as you start thinking, um, you know, if part of your, say, landscape goal, for want of a better word, is seeing your landscape how you would love it to look like, which may or may not ever happen. Yeah. But, you know, my ideal landscape um, is really healthy. It's really functional. It's profitable. It's, you know, um, no soil erosion and lots of animals and birds and, yeah. uh, you know, whatever it might be. If you can see that how you want it to be, and know that it might take 200 years or 300 years if everything's done reasonably well. There'll be a few mistakes along the way, obviously. But yeah. then all of a sudden, you've got something to pin what you're doing today against. So, and what I, uh, sorry, the actions I'm taking now or thinking about while I'm in the office or riding around on the horse or something. Yeah. Um, is if I do that, how's that going to affect, you know, what's the flow on effect of that and how's it got to be managed so that I can get to that end goal? And, um, or at least make progress yeah. towards it. Sorry? Or at least make progress towards it because, like you've said, you're never going to see the end goal 200 years from now. No, that's right. And um, But is it going to lead me towards it? I guess is yeah. the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but, and sometimes you're going to take a deviation, which you know isn't going to, but you're hoping um, it's going to make it easier to set you up to get back on track and, right. and you know, be more profitable along the way or something like that. But if you've got something to pin it against, um, testing that decision, then yeah. it's a conscious decision. I know this isn't going to, it's not a straight line to where I'm wanting to go. Yeah. But provided I get to that point and don't go further, then I can, um, you know, get back on trajectory yeah. in a financially better position or a landscape better position or whatever it might be. But Yeah. Um, Pete, is there, a, is there a, a practical example you can share with us that, assuming many listeners not are not farmers they wouldn't understand the technical aspects of it i certainly wouldn't is there a, is there an example of something that you've done in lieu of what you just said that would be an example of I've, I've, i did this thing to the landscape in the idea that in 200 you know 150 60 years from now that provides the opportunity to do x is there a practical example you can share um yeah, apart from putting me on the spot pete i uh <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. well in the pub week. <laughs> yeah, I think it was overindulgence, food coma, food yeah. coma. That was. 
so one of the big things in a grazing operation is being able to maintain a really healthy pasture or healthy landscape. And so if you leave stock in any one paddock for too long, they tend to overgraze the grass and um, you run the risk of bearing, having more bare ground in between plants, more exposed to erosion. Um, if the, the grass is always eaten off at the top, then the roots are always pruned in equal measure mm -hmm. from the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and you want, you know, a big, deep-rooted um, plants that feed lots of microbes and bacteria and fungus and, and um, you know, really healthy soil is the aim. And the easiest way to do that is to have living organisms doing their thing underground. And, mm -hmm. and so managing the grazing of those animals is really important. So one of our um, decisions was to improve the water um, on the farm, so drinking water for livestock. And you know, we use dams, um, but there's only so many sites you can put dams in and it's a, you know, it's a scar on the landscape. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, I guess a necessity for stock water. And we've also put in um, some bores, so we're getting water from underground. And we reticulate it around the farm. And so we can put stock water in a lot more positions. Right. And then we can um, create a lot more paddocks. Right. And so we can move the stock from one paddock to another. And knowing that, you know, each paddock that the stock are in, they're only going to be there for a short period of time. And then they're moved on. And then that paddock gets Recovered. yeah, a long recovery period. Yeah, and so yeah. you're encouraging it to, um, you know, to have a perennial base plant. So that, by that I mean that, it's, um, you know, the plants live year to year. Yeah, and have a dry season, but they, um, where they go to seed and senescence. But um, you know, so you're creating that healthier landscape, and yeah, so that's probably the, the most obvious one. Yeah, um, Pete, I'm going to make a comment here that would it's probably ignorant. Because I'm not a farmer. Um, with what you've just said, it seems maybe stark and obvious to me that farmers and farming have always been into sustainability. Yeah. Whereas you see a lot of press these days about it's, I don't want to say it's the new buzzword because it's obviously not, because otherwise, you know, 60,000 years of sustainability means we're able to do this. But how do you feel about that in terms of? You know, as a farmer, part of your lens through success is the healthiness of the landscape 200 years from now. And all this, you know, all the banks and all the media talking about climate change and sustainability. And we've got to keep does that does that reassure you or does it piss you off? Because you've always how do you respond to everyone's kind of jumped on the sustainability bandwagon? Yeah, look, um <laughs> It, that sort of thing used to annoy me a bit, but now you just you can see the cycle coming. Um, you get a buzzword; it's it means something to start with, and then everyone uses it and puts their own context around it, yeah. and um, and all of a sudden everyone's sustainable or everyone's you know there's biodiversity everywhere, and even in monoculture. You, know, yeah. you can justify anything if you really put enough yeah. effort into it. Yeah. Um, so you've just got to, uh, okay, <laughs> ignore it's not the right word, but if someone asks, explain it um, or explain your version of it um, and be true to yourself. Like if it's, if you genuinely yeah. think that you want, um, you know, you know what you want your landscape to look like in yep. 200 years and you want it to be healthy, you've got to really justify it to yourself. Yeah. Um, am I 
heading in that direction or yeah, well, am I genuinely not, but I'm enjoying the profitability, then, you know, that's entirely on you as to whether you can, yeah. uh, I guess, for want of a better term, live with yourself to do that. Interesting. You know? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. And look, that that's a perfect pivot for me, Pete, in terms of one of the things that I, I said to you, and I'll, I'll repeat it here, that I was, I say it's not usual. There's not many 19-year-olds that are even interested in thinking about thinking about the person that they want to be. Can you maybe share over the years, has that changed? Because that was the third lens, right? There was the there was the assets on farm, off farm. There was the, the healthiness of the landscape, you know, beyond my lifetime. And what also fascinated me was this, this idea, you know, as a 19-year-old being inspired to think about from mom and dad, who's the person that I want to be? Has that yeah. changed the years? Uh, not a lot, actually. Like it's yeah. one of the the real um, the real positives for me have been that it's it, it you know that's probably started I guess developing at about the age of nineteen, but yeah. the time I was probably twenty four, twenty five. Um, you know, I, at that time I wouldn't have said I was really clear on it but everything sure. i was um but it was a question right it was a question that was percolating it was kind of I seed planted with a you know a whisper i used like you know who do i want to be who do i want to be who do i want to be we had um it, i think it was well, i'm pretty sure it was one of our family meetings where we had to write down um just for us like it didn't necessarily um you know need to be public but a lot of those things and and anyway, I found one, you know, 10 or 15 years later, just a scrap of wow. paper. Wow. And I read it and I just went, wow, that's pretty solid. Like you change a few words, but it was, so it obviously meant something to me at the time yeah. and it meant something to me then and it still means something to me now. And so very little has changed. Like there's, we obviously, um, well, maybe not obviously, but when, um, when I got married, we went through it because all of a sudden it's not my goals, it's our goals. Yeah. You know, they had to be on the same wavelength, otherwise you, you know, drift apart. And um, <clears throat> and so there was a bit of a rejigging there. I mean, we were very fortunate in that we, you know, were both very similar. Yeah. Um, well, fortunate so far, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, neither of us had to step away from who we thought we wanted to be. Yeah. You know, to do a joint goal, but yeah. um, and things still hadn't changed much. And and you know, I guess one of the things when you're choosing a life partner is, do they make you a better person? And yeah. it's, or do you think they'll make you a better person? And um, you know, if you're heading in a similar direction, or you think that. There, um, that person's going to help take you to the sort of person you want to be. Yeah. Then, you know, you're on a winner. Yeah. I read recently. Yeah. Pete, that, um, say again. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, amazingly, it, it, things really hadn't changed from Isn't sort of. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's pretty solid actually. So, uh, for me, it begs the question. You know, obviously, when you're at 19. You, you haven't really experienced much of life yet. And, you know, now you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a farmer, you're a colleague, you're a mate, you're, you've got kids, you've got family members. How, how did you know at 19 what you wanted to be when you were in your 50s? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty broad. It wasn't, you know, that... I wanted to have brown hair and blue eyes still. Um, it was, uh, you know, I wanted to be involved in community and, like, there's there's always people you look up to in some yeah. aspect, even if it's only, um, you know, one aspect of that person, but it yeah. sticks out to you. And yeah. so that becomes your benchmark and yeah. um, or something to aspire to, maybe not your benchmark, but... Um, and then it'll be another trait in someone else or something someone said and that 
sits well with you. And so you remember that person for that one thing you said. Yeah, sure. Um, now, that person may not even remember ever saying it, but it meant something to you at the time. And that's, you know, and so that's how you become. And, you know, a lot of that comes from family, um, friends, you know, I guess, um, you know, parents of friends. Yeah. Things, things in different contexts. But, you know, there'll, there'll be something that, relates to you at that point in time yeah. and yeah and so you're just building um i guess building a thought process or a uh that appeals to you and if that's yeah you know solid then they'll hang around for a long time my, my experience of that personally Pete, is it can be a little bit random um when I was um, with my uh, wife when we were courting, um, you know, getting ready for the wedding, I was a, a terrible nail biter. I used to bite my nails all the time, right? Um, I used to go around in the UK um, selling pharmaceuticals to doctors and hospitals and therefore, you know, going into the local chemists and asking about the drugs and the pharmaceuticals and how, you know, how many prescriptions had been sent, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, I, I can still, I can remember the, the chemist and the, the, the lady saying it. I was chatting to the pharmacist and there was three pharmacist assistants. And out of nowhere, she said to me, oh, look at your nails. <laughs> right? From that moment on, I haven't bit my nails. Yeah, right. Despite all of the, you know, the treatments, the stop and go, my wife badgering me, my mum badgering me, none of it had an impact. But some random person in a chemist shop in North Yorkshire, <laughs> 30, 40 years ago, who I've never met since, will never meet again, said something and it like, oh, it had an impact. And I wonder if there's many of us who are doing that and having that an impact inadvertently without even knowing we are. You know, so on other it, people. Yeah, on other people, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, Pete Lawson might be the inspiration for many things that you've no idea about. That's a frightening thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. For some of for some of it, Pete. For some of it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think that's right. And I mean, I think a lot of the things, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I've got absolutely no doubt that I've got examples like that. Yeah. Like your nail bite. Just completely random people. It might have even been a conversation I was part of, but not actually talking in that. Yes. Where someone said something. Yes. I thought, oh, yeah. I get that in my circumstance at that time. And that makes yeah. sits well with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Your, um, your three lenses, Pete, you remind me of, uh, again, one of the, as you, as you mentioned at the beginning, there's many, many different goal-setting frameworks. Um, one of the perhaps most used is uh, a framework around be, do, have. When you think about setting yourself aspirations and goals, what do you want to have? What do you want to do? And who do you want to be? And there's an interesting yep. tie in between, you know, what do you want to have? Your on-farm, off-farm assets. What do you want to do while well, making a healthy landscape 200 years from now? And who do you want to be? Which is the question about the person you want to be. So, you know, without even knowing it, you, you've been applying some of these frameworks. Um, I'm fascinated, as you've now got kids, have you repeated the process with your kids that your parents did? And, and how's that going? Um, yeah, I have. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's quite funny. To be honest, until um, the other day, I'd almost forgotten some of the stuff that mum and dad got us to do. But I've found myself repeating it, um, and probably from an earlier age, but repeating it, thinking it was my idea when really it was just, it wasn't at all. So, you know, not quite as smart as I thought I was. (laughs) Likewise. Um, yeah, so with the kids, we've started, um, you know, just 
we try to do it once a year. Um, yeah. Some very loose questions of what they, and they write it down, um, you know, what, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they, as I say, they're pretty loose questions, but, um, you know, what they might want to do at this point in their life, what yeah. sort of career do you yeah. want? You know, what sort of jobs do you think you might have or yep. would like to have, but not really, um, you know, you don't see it as a long-term thing at this stage. And it's all at that point in time. Like there's no, um, you know, what sort of house do you want to live in when you're 60 or um, to retire or, uh, yeah. you know, just stuff which they may not think about, but it's really just to get them thinking and now, I don't read any of the answers, but I keep them all. And yeah, with thought being, then, um, you know, I haven't actually done this, so I, whether I get to it or not, but at some point in time when we start probably having more in-depth conversations about what they want to do with their life and, yeah. um, you know, what we want to do and how we might be able to make it all work, and um, we'll bring these out. And now I suspect there'll be a lot of laughs for yeah. some of the answers and some of them will be one word, one word answers because, you know, yeah. that's what we do when we're writing answers to questions for school is write one word if possible. We can get away with it. Yeah. And um, just to, to, uh, to bring that whatever message has been building over yes. the times yes. to them, it'll... I think will um, they'll be able to start. They'll start picking themes and say, "Wow, this is pretty solid." Like, I mean, you know, wanting to be a fireman or a bus driver or something yep. like that. Yeah, come and gone, but being, um, you know, where I want to live or the sort of person I want to be. You know, something's been building these answers, and um, you know, I'll probably need a bit of help from you, Pete, to design some. Um, you know, questions that are actually worth having rather than some of the ones that I think of, oh, jeepers, I've got to do this. It's, you know, that time of year again. If I don't do it now, I'll think about it. Yeah, I think the way you do it is perfect, Pete, because it's it's organic, it's natural, it's authentic, it's it's planting a seed. Yeah. The, the, you know, the fruits of which you might never see. And that's what inspired me to kind of go, we should, you know, I think people would be interested in that because not many people do it. Yeah. It's, um, I'm interested, have you shared with your kids some of your answers from when you were 19 and 25 and 30? Uh, probably on occasions, but again, more in conversations, which is probably usually only with one or two of them who were right. with me at the time. Right. Yeah. Not, you know, certainly not in a formal sense, but um, I expect that will come um, where cool. it'll... You know, that, that will be a question to us. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think that'll – I'm very prepared too and I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I, I suspect you would be, yeah. I know how much, um, you know, me asking questions of, um, you know, my parents and friends' parents and that sort of thing and where they're – you know, if they're giving you a, a willing and honest answer – then it means something, and you now, and you appreciate it, and it gives you something to build from. It doesn't mean you have to be what they are or want it to yeah, be. I think you're right. It does give you something to build from, or pivot from, or respond to, and and I think it's it, it plants a seed. One, the process yeah. itself, and two, the answer. Yep. Even if it rules that out. Yes, like, I agree. I really don't. I really don't agree with that. I can understand, you know, where they were coming from, but I really don't agree with it. And so yeah. all of a sudden it's off the table. That's one less thing that's you have to worry about. Yeah, that's right. that's right. Um, um, Pete, I'm really conscious of time and um, you, you've got lots to do on the farm today. So uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you, one, for being willing to, I know you, you're not a regular podcast guest, so appreciate you stepping in and stepping up and doing something that you come comfort zone perhaps. And secondly, thank you for just sharing the 
your insights because uh, you know you might not think uh but yeah but it's just what we do it's actually as i've said it's pretty unusual to start at 19 thinking about those three things what am i what are the assets i want to how am i impacting the landscape and you know who do who do i want to be in the world and you know i'm very grateful that we've met and i think it's a great process and i think what you're doing in all those three veins is is pretty honorable so so it's a very simple thank you for being a guest, but a broader thank you yeah. for doing what you're doing to the land. Thank you. I think um, I'll just make one comment. The being um, the clearer you are on your goals, and like this is my experience, the clearer you are on your goals, the earlier you are, the um, the <clears throat> easier it is because at some stage, you know, things are going to get tough during your life, but yep. mentally, financially, or all of the above. Um, and, you know, if you're clear on something, then you are going to keep dragging yourself that way. Yeah. And it's just a really powerful way of um, knowing that, right, I'm, that's where I'm going to be. I know I'm nowhere near being that person at the moment, just in the mental state I'm in or the yep. financial state I'm in or whatever it might be. It just gives you something to cling to and keep dragging. Whereas, um, you know, you, I think you see it in quite a lot with you know mental health nowadays, especially. But you know, right. if the economic situation gets much worse the, in Australia at the moment, the um, uh, you know there's going to be an awful lot of people in financial yeah. strife if the yeah. newspapers are right, and you know if they don't have goals, it, it can get you, you've got nothing just to grab onto to yeah to keep your head water, literally and metaphorically yeah 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 i agree there's so many yeah. things that, are, that would benefit people during this so yeah and that's been i mean certainly in my lifetime it, that's you know that has helped me enormously and i think it's probably why i'm quite um keen to see um as many people as possible close to me that yeah um you know just get as clear as you can be as early as you can be in life and um the chances are you've got a better chance of reaching them yeah anyway sorry i just diverted that, no not at all that, that that was a perfect summary of the whole point of our conversation i'm thank i'm grateful that you were able to remember most of it <laughs> 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 the, the introduction to this concept was kind of, you know, after a couple of beers. So I'm, I'm glad you remember most of it. I'm really grateful for you for you sharing that. No worries. I think if people learn anything from me, they'll learn not to go out with someone who does a podcast, overindulge <laughs> in too much food. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much, Pete. No worries. Thanks, Pete.